Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 through 5. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again to everybody here, and for those tuning in uh, to Facebook Live or our podcast, uh, welcome. If we have not met, my name is Patrick, and I am the pastor here at Christ the Word Church, and I'm glad that everyone is here as we join together to worship God. Uh, This Sunday, we are going to continue a conversation we actually began last Sunday uh, with the lectionary passage in 2 Corinthians, and this Sunday is just begins right after the passage we discussed last week. So if you missed it, it was the best sermon I've ever given, and I'm sorry you missed it. Um, and I can't promise that this one's going to top it, but we're going to continue that conversation because last Sunday we discussed the passage, if you're familiar or read it all, 2 Corinthians, uh, you may know the passage where Paul talks about these jars of clay. Um, in fact, one of my favorite bands, Christian bands, goes by the name of Jars of Clay, and it's from this passage. And we discussed what it meant when he was talking about these jars of clay, because you, you read through that and you're like, okay, what, what do jars of clay have to do with anything, Paul? And Paul was using it as an analogy of, and he talked about the cracks that form and the beauty that, and the light that can come from those cracks cracks. We talked about the greatest treasure that we hold in these temporary vessels because we are the jars of clay. We're, we're temporary and that we, we carry this grand treasure, this greatest treasure that has ever been that we call the gospel, the good news, the message, the reality of Jesus Christ. And this week we continue that discussion. But before we do that and before I proceed any further, let's return to God in prayer and ask for the Spirit to guide us. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and worship, to gather in your name, and we pray that all hearts, all minds, that everything we do and say would be drawn to you and praise of you alone. Lord, we come with burdens and things on our minds, perhaps what we have going on after this, and Lord, we pray that you would help us just set that aside so that we can be fully present with you and with one another in worship. And we pray that as we look and dive a little deeper into your scripture passage, that 
sometimes can be a bit confusing for us that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to receive your word to us this day, for even ancient words still speak truth today. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. So a question for you as we start out. Can a few words lead us to a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding? Just a few words. Can, can a few words do that? Timothy thinks so. Do you think a few words can do that? Do you think just muttering a few words can actually open up an entire world for us? Do you think so? Timothy thinks so. Timothy's right in line. Everybody else is looking at me like, where are you going with this? I'm glad you're here, Timothy. You're, you're, you're tracking with me. Well, let me, let me have this example. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few words, and then I want you to complete the phrase for me. May the force... Ah, okay, you know where I'm going there. All right, let's see if anybody knows this one. With great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, one of my favorites. Four score and seven. Okay, all right, and this one's a little tougher, but a speech. I have a dream. That's right. So when you hear those phrases... I mean, you, you knew what I was talking about. Your mind goes beyond those phrases, don't they? They go to something, something else. When you hear, may the force be with you immediately, a whole universe opens up. As you consider Star Wars and all the stories that happen there, and if you're a Star Wars fan like I am, there's, there's a lot of stuff there, and it's just opened up by that phrase. When you hear four scores seven years ago, I mean, you, you're taken back in history to a pivotal time in our country, and if you study history at all, there's a lot of stuff that happened there that leads to where we are now. And I have a dream. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we know the work that he did and where we still are in our country wrestling with this dream. T.S. Eliot, I don't know how many poetry friends we ha- or fans we have in here, but he has uh, a He once uttered this phrase, to Carthage, then I came, in one of his most famous poems called The Wasteland. It's a long one. It's 434 lines of poetry. And so if you're not a poetry fan, that may sound miserable, and then it probably will be for you. But picking up this poem off the shelf, we might wonder, why, why is he talking about Carthage? I mean, you know, Carthage in North Africa? What does that have to do with anything in his poem about a wasteland? Is he calling Carthage a wasteland? Because his phrase in it is, To Carthage then I came, burning, burning, O Lord, thou pluckest me out. The key comes when you understand what Eliot is really saying in this poem. And everything else falls into place. A whole world is conjured up in a simple statement, just as I was mentioning earlier. Because to Carthage, then I came, is alluding to one of the most famous writers and most famous books in early Western world, St. Augustine's Confessions. Augustine describes how he went to Carthage as a young man and found it to be a place stirred by lust, where it was celebrated, a place where only God himself could pluck him out. 
and God does just that for Augustine. Eliot is using this one phrase and then another to invite us into a whole different world to help us better understand his poem itself and inviting us in to find equivalence to this Carthage in our own life and in our own world. So why talk about phrases and T.S. Eliot and all this other stuff? Because Paul does a very similar thing and he does it often. Paul is known to use this very trick when he is writing these letters to the church. Because if we know one thing about Paul, Paul knew his Scripture. Paul knew his Scripture. And Paul, you could just tell that the Psalms were kind of weaved into his daily prayer. And he does that right here at the beginning. Kate read the passage, but we're going to revisit it in parts. So in verse 13, where she started... Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. So a quick reading of this might thinking, okay, Paul, so what's of value here? Anybody ever done a read through the Bible in a year plan? They're great, and I, and, and I think everybody should do it several times throughout their life. But the challenge when you're doing that, at least what I've found, is that you're just blowing through such large sections of Scripture. You, you pass by statements like this, and you're like, okay, all right, yeah, that makes sense, okay, whatever. I mean, we're, the men, we're studying judges in our morning Bible study, and we've came across huge sections where like, I don't even remember that, and I've read judges. I remember some of the other stuff, but I don't even remember that. It's like, well, it's probably because it was just one of our read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year things, and we just blew through it. I believed and so I spoke. Okay. You believe and so you spoke. What, what consequence is that? Well, actually, it's key to understanding this section. Because Paul is not just saying, I believed and so I spoke. Paul is quoting a psalm. Paul is quoting Psalm 116, to be exact. I believed and so I spoke. Doesn't sound very impressive, but it is quoting a psalm, opening up a whole new world. What's going on in that psalm? And what's going on in our passage? And do they actually weave and fit together? The quick answer is yes, they most certainly do. Paul has been talking on and off again in this whole letter in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the church in Corinth. And particularly these last few verses, he's been talking about how he found himself crushed and ready to die and about the way in which, to his surprise, the power of God was able to raise him from death and give him new life, to pluck him out of his turmoil. And so let's take a look at Psalm 116. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Psalm 116. If not, it will be on the screen and you can follow along that way. But let's read together this passage as you follow along. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. 
Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said, to my, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So do you see what's kind of going on in this psalm? It's kind of a psalm of anguish, but then in the anguish, God, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give thanksgiving to you, which is not a natural thing we tend to do when we hit suffering, is it? How many of you hit suffering and you're like, thank you, God, for this. I'm, I just, oh, I'm loving this. Oh, yes. Bring on the pain. Anybody? No, yeah, I didn't think so. I, that's not my reaction. See, Paul's situation fits this psalm like a glove. As I mentioned earlier, Paul knew his scriptures. And undoubtedly, he knew the psalms and he'd weave them in his prayers. And when he contemplated this psalm, he saw himself in the place of the psalmist. Which is the beauty of the psalms. The psalms invite us into them so that we can be the object of them. Actually, God is the object, but we are invited into that. Paul saw the traps of death around him, the the bitter smell of death that seemed to be coming toward him and dragging him down. And there in the depths, God comes to the rescue. So as he reflects here on the whole experience, he finds himself in a similar position to the psalmist. Like in verse 10 in that psalm, he has stayed faithful, and so now he speaks. Paul remains faithful and speaks in prayer and thanksgiving to God who raised the Lord Jesus. He speaks within his own heart, and now to those who read this letter, the more people that are praising God, the more that the world begins to take shape of how God meant it to be and wants it to be, the more God's power goes out to save and heal where generous blessings are still needed. Paul has taken this entire psalm, Psalm 116, has lived through its experience himself, has reflected deeply on the light of it presented in Jesus, and has now made it an instrument of his appeal to the church in Corinth to not despise him 
for his sufferings or regard him as a failure. Because as we discussed last week, one of the problems Paul was facing that he addresses in this particular letter is that his opponents were looking at him and going, you're suffering so much, so many things are going wrong, then you can't be within the will of God. Because obviously, if you're in the will of God, then you never face suffering, right? Nope. And if anyone ever tells you that, they are preaching a false gospel. Because to follow Jesus does not mean there will be no suffering, there will be no pain. In fact, sometimes that pain and suffering comes because we follow Jesus. But not always. Paul is saying, look, it's not about my suffering. Because through this, I see the power of God to lift me out of it. And I am gracious for God, and I'm going to praise God throughout my entire life, no matter my circumstances. But as we spoke earlier, that's tough to do, isn't it? We don't like to celebrate our suffering. Nobody wants to live a life of pain. In fact, we go to great lengths to avoid pain. Don't we? We do it all the time. Give me the pills. Let me take the pain pills. I don't want the pain, even if I know if it's my own fault because I'm addicted to caffeine and I'm getting caffeine headaches and I didn't have caffeine today. That's just a personal example. Maybe you don't have that issue. But we all try to avoid pain, don't we? Maybe it's a difficult conversation we need to have with somebody and we know it's going to be hurtful and then we, we just don't have it because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to face that. Or perhaps we know that, you know, something needs to change in our life and we just don't want to go to that change because it may be painful. The suffering may come. And the problem when suffering, especially when seemingly senseless suffering happens in our lives, what tends to happen? We tend to question, don't we? Don't questions come out of our suffering? Questions are birthed in our suffering. That's when we start asking all the natural questions, why God? Why did this happen? How did this happen? Why me? Could I have done something to avoid it? Or am I being punished? And we discussed a lot of those questions last week. Suffering bursts questions. But Paul's saying here, we need to take a different perspective on our suffering. And to his opponents, he's saying, you're trying to discredit me, but my sufferings are actually evidence of God's work in my life. Do you ever feel like you are not in God's favor when things go bad in your life? Anybody? Things are going bad and you're thinking, okay, then what have I done to put myself here? Paul comes back in verse 16 where he was at the start of the chapter explaining why he doesn't lose heart despite his circumstances. He doesn't let those questions overcome him. I'm sure Paul was, Paul was human. Paul was very human. And I'm sure he had similar reactions to any of us having those questions. But instead of lingering there, he wants to say, no, let's not lose heart. Despite our circumstances, let's look past it. And so in verse 16, he says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
Paul wants people to know that even in our suffering, and maybe especially in our suffering, God is at work in our lives, shaping us from within. He goes on to say in verse 17 and 18, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory. Isn't that a great phrase? An eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Unfortunately, it's easy today for people to misunderstand this particular passage. It's easy to imagine within our worldview today that in verse 17 and 18, he's really saying that bodily things, outer things, don't matter. No, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's just about the spiritual things, in a sense. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that your body and the suffering and everything that you go through doesn't matter. It's just about the spiritual. Because if you read the rest of Paul's letters, if you understand his theology, you realize that's not what he preaches and teaches at all. What he is saying is that it's not a physical, non-physical thing, but it is a present world thing contrasted with a future world thing. That's what he's talking about. It's our present day and age, where we are now, and looking to this future eternal hope we have, because it's very different, contrasting. I mean, I think we all could agree the world now is not as it should be. You agree with me on that? It's not. There's too much pain. There's too much suffering. It's not as it should be. But we have this hope in the gospel that God is renewing. God is restoring things. There's this future hope. We see glimpses of it now. We see God at work now, but it is not fully yet realized. It's here, but yet it's not yet here. And Paul's saying we are looking at this present suffering versus this future glory, this weight of glory as he puts it. So what is Paul doing here? What do you think Paul is doing here? He's pointing to hope. Paul is pointing to hope. He's saying things, can't, things can get quite challenging. But can you imagine a recent time of suffering and how it felt and the emotions that come with that? What are the emotions you tend to feel when you're in suffering? Anybody? Anger? Fear? Frustration? Timothy, you were with me earlier. How do you feel when you get frustrated? I'm going to call you out. That's what you get for being a guest. When you hit a hard time, do you, what are some of the feelings you feel? You happy about it? No. Sometimes it can be confusing, can it? Sometimes there's so many different emotions coming along that you don't even know how to sort them out because you, you feel anger, fear, frustration, sadness all at the same time, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. When we're suffering, we need hope, don't we? In fact, suffering is made all the worse when we lose hope. You know what? This came to mind this week as I was looking at the news. Perhaps you saw the news too. I mean, we had two famous individuals found dead this week, both of them of apparent suicide. Big name people, big careers, but yet behind the smiling faces, 
you sensed that there was this sadness that was hiding behind. And it's causing us to ask all these different questions about how we handle mental health and how we find things. And these are good discussions to have, but I have to say that just my heart breaks every time I hear about anybody who reaches a place of despair, whether it be through clinical depression or, or hard times or whatever, but my heart breaks for anybody who reaches a place like this that they see no hope at all. And far too many people find themselves in this place. And I don't think my heart is the only one who breaks when I hear of individuals reaching this place. I think God's heart breaks. We were not built to be a people that are hopeless. We are a people that were made for hope. People who need hope. Just like the air we breathe, we need hope. And when we reach tough times, and when it seems like there is no way forward, that the fog is before us, and perhaps we've just been brought to a cliff, that God is saying, you still need hope. You need a hope beyond yourself. Because Paul starts in verse 1 of the next chapter, saying this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I want to be clear that this is not meant to be escapist theology. And in other words, that, you know, it's, it's just all, it's, it's all going to be okay when we get to heaven, so none of this matters. Yes, I do believe it will all be okay when it goes to heaven, but what about now? What is our hope here and now? Well, Paul is saying that is our present hope. It's not just our future hope. It is our present hope because the gospel changes everything. The Son of God stepped down from heaven to live with us as one of us, to understand our pain, to live our pain, to suffer and to die on our behalf. Our God is with us. Our future hope is here now with us. And even when we can't see this unseen presence, Jesus is with you, even when you are in the depths of the pit of Sheol, as the psalm would say. When you're in the pit of death and you feel like you've hit rock bottom and you can't go any further, Jesus is still there with you. We have a hope even if we can't see it. Your suffering does not mean God has abandoned you. Instead, it means Jesus is with you still even now. The unseen thing that Paul looked at to renew his inner man, as he says, was this immense weight of glory that is being prepared for him, not just after but through and by the wasting away of his body, through his suffering. When he is hurting, he fixes his eyes not on how heavy the hurt is, but on how heavy the glory will be because of the hurt. Brothers and sisters, pain is inevitable. Suffering will come if it hasn't already. Hurt awaits us. They are inevitable no matter how hard you try to avoid them. Therefore, the real question about our pain is not how can we avoid it, but when it comes, 
Where will we fix our eyes? Where will you fix your eyes? On your present pain or your future glory? Amen.